Early Risers is supported by Health Partners and Park Nicollet. From rashes, fevers, shots, and all other things that make you worry a lot, Health Partners has pediatric care for your kids. Visit healthpartners.com slash schedule. From Little Moments Count and Minnesota Public Radio, this is Early Risers, Waking Up to Racial Equity in Early Childhood. I'm your host, Diane Halsey, with Think Small in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This podcast is about how to talk with very young children about race and racism. I've lived most of my life in Minnesota, which is home to many vibrant immigrant and refugee communities. According to the American Immigration Council, nearly 10% of the state's residents were born outside of the United States in places like East Africa and Southeast Asia. Some came as refugees, meaning that they were forced to flee their homeland because of violence or persecution based on their race, religion, nationality, political beliefs, or other identities. Many recent immigrants are also people of color, And that means these families, which include very young children, often face racism and xenophobia when they come to the United States. My guest on today's episode of Early Risers is writer Bao Fi, and he is part of this bigger story. I grew up with a ton of resentment, confusion, and self-hatred that anything other than Asian was preferable to what I really was. And I think that that shaped me. And... At the same time, I'm glad I went through that because, you know, I have the opportunity to be kind of self-reflective and interrogate myself. Like, where did you learn that? Right. And now that I'm a parent, can I help my child not go through that? Balfi's family came to Minnesota in the 1970s as refugees from Vietnam. Growing up in South Minneapolis, he experienced racism and a feeling of being invisible as an Asian American. Once he became a parent, he wanted things to be different for his child. And that's what inspired him to start writing stories that were not available to him when he was younger. Bao, I just want to thank you for coming on Early Risers. I just want to start out with a little bit of your backstory. So your family came to America when you were just a few months old. So even though you were born in Vietnam... You actually grew up in America. And do you remember what your experiences were as a young immigrant child in Minnesota? Well, thank you so much for having me. And that's a really great question. So we were, you know, Vietnamese refugees from the war. And, you know, I I feel like there's a lot of misconception about how Vietnamese refugees and other Southeast Asian refugees are just here, right? Because of the kindness of the United States hearts Mm. or something. When in reality, people like my father fought as allies with the United States as Southern Vietnamese people, Mm. and as well as, you know, other Southeast Asians, right? Hmong people, uh, Cambodian, Thai, Lao. You know, we were the first, I mean, Southeast Asians were the first big Asian groups to come in mass to Minnesota, right? And so there were other Asians here before us, but we were like the first big visible groups to come together and for people to say, whoa, you know, like, who are these Asian people? And uh, another Asian American friend of mine who used to live in Minnesota, 
had this theory that because we were the first big Asian populations, we were often then framed racially as like enemies from war, right? And I felt that that was very much the case. You know, growing up as a Vietnamese refugee in Minnesota, how do I say this? So there were definitely people who were kind and there were people who were more curious, right, than they were Mm. racist. But there was also a lot of racism and hatred. What were some of the things you might have experienced when you were a child? Oh, so, you know, like, I remember the first time someone called me a racial slur was on the school bus. I was like five years old, and I, wow. I didn't even know what it meant. And but I knew that it was meant to hurt me, you know, so I cried. Yes. And I, and I went home and I told my dad what the kid had said, and he just got very serious and very mm. sad. And he, um, you know, he did his best as a dad. But, you know, like, you, you have to realize my parents, they weren't planning on coming to the United States. That's the difference between an immigrant and a refugee, right? Is usually immigrants can have a very difficult time coming, but usually they plan on leaving. Whereas refugees, we were forced to flee. That was not our plan. So they were not really prepared um, for that. So there was a lot of name calling. There was a lot of go back to where you come from. There was a lot of, um, you know, my family member went to war in your country and died for you people. Um, and then there were like a lot of attacks and hatred because basically there's no one really trying to defend Asian people. You know what I mean? Mm, like we're yeah. kind of invisible and people pick up on that. And so there were like, Asians are easy targets. And I bring that up because after, you know, all of the anti-Asian hate that we saw during the pandemic, right. I don't know if so much has changed in the last 40 years. You know what I mean? So, I do. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that, um, like you said, there is no one like fighting or defending, you know, Asian Americans. I think for a young child, that can be very disorienting and also um, confusing. And uh, and you're right. You know, the idea that your parents didn't plan to come, that they had to come, they they had to flee their, their home right. comes w- with a certain level of embedded trauma. Um, and then to come to a place that is not very welcoming for you. Right. And so one of the things that we talk about on Early Risers is how do we have these conversations, you know, with young children. And if you kind of think back to those times when you were young, what would you have wished someone would have said to you? Wow, that is a terrific question. Um, I honestly wish that someone had told me that Asian Americans, people who looked like me, had a history of struggle and life and achievements in this country, Mm, right? Um, Yes. I mean, I'll put it this way. I mean, I had learned about the Black Panthers and Malcolm X and the American Indian movement before I learned that there was such a thing as Asian American, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I should know about those things. I should learn about the Black Panthers. I should learn about AIM. I'm just saying that in general, I think that this country still hasn't quite figured out how to contextualize Asian Americans in our discussions and our consciousness about race, right? And I think, again, you saw that during the pandemic, you know, with all of these anti-Asian attacks happening, you saw like people who would consider themselves anti-racist say, but are 
are these racial attacks? Is this racism? Yeah. Because Asians don't, you know what I mean? They were saying stuff like Asians don't suffer from racism, right? Where they're next in line to be white or whatever. So that just really showed that there's a continued lack of awareness of what an Asian American, you know, racial consciousness and the history that we have. It's just continued to be devalued and ignored. Yeah. And so I wish that maybe, you know, someone could have been like, hey, while you're learning about all these different people the way you should, you should also learn about Asian American people, which you are. You know, like I, I had, I really wish someone had said that to me. Mm. So I definitely hear what you're saying that, you know, we don't teach a lot about Asian American history, not in school and probably not also in just, you know, everyday life and vernacular. But I want to talk, you, you, you've written this wonderful book called A Different Pond, and we're going to get to talking about that in, in a minute. But I, I read somewhere where you were talking about one of the reasons you wrote that book. You said the Asian American experience in particular is one of erasure, one of dismissal. And I hope this book is a small step in intervening in that. So how do you feel like that erasure shaped you as a child and and now as an adult? So I've loved books and stories since I was young. And honestly, I I used to wish that I was anything but Asian, right? Because Mm -hmm. like, again, Asian Americans are kind of nothing in American culture. Like we kind of don't exist on any continuum. Or if we do exist, we're usually seen as lesser than in comparison to other people. And so just in short, it's not cool to be Asian, you know, in the United States. And as a kid, you want to be cool, right? Like you want to be accepted, mm-hmm. like, yep. or, or even if you want to be like a rebel, you want to be a rebel in a very certain way, right? Even rebelliousness is racially coded and it's not Asian American. True. And so I think that I grew up with a ton of resentment, confusion, and self-hatred that, mm-hmm. uh, anything other than Asian was preferable to, to what I really was. And I think that that shaped me. And at the same time, there is a way in which I'm glad I went through that because, you know, I have the opportunity to be kind of self-reflective and kind of interrogate myself. Like, where did you learn that? Right. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and now that I'm a parent, like, can I help my child not go through that? Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about your your children's book writing. And so to date, I believe you've written three children's books. And I hope that's not the end of it. I hope you keep writing these books. But let's talk first about your the first children's book you wrote was called A Different Pond. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about the plot of A Different Pond. What is it about? The plot of A Different Pond is it's very loosely based on fishing trips that I used to take with my father when I was young. You know, I come from a big family. We're working class, working poor, whatever you want to call it. And as the youngest, my father would often wake me up early to take me fishing. And mm-hmm. usually the fishing trips were for food. They weren't mm-hmm. necessarily for fun right? It was another way of like saving money and putting food on the table. And so basically the the plot of the story is in the morning, a young Vietnamese boy gets woken up by his father and they go fishing 
in a small place where maybe they're not allowed to be actually and you know and then it, it and then they I like that there's a part where the, they're actually like jumping a little fence there <laughs> yeah I mean I like that you know, so that's loosely the plot but you know there are parts of it where they talk about the country that that the father left and death and war and I just mm-hmm. felt that that was very important because that's a part of our experience too and so how do you put that into a story for children in a way that doesn't traumatize them or trigger them. Is there a, a a certain part of it that you wouldn't mind reading to us, like maybe a few pages that you really like or that children really respond to? Sure. Um, thank you for asking. The streetlights look brighter and the roads aren't so busy before the sun comes up. Dad turns on the heater and tells me stories. A kid at my school said my dad's English sounds like a thick, dirty river. But to me, his English sounds like gentle rain. We stop at the bait store on Lake Street. It always seems to be open. You're here early today, the bait man says. I got a second job, my dad explains. I have to work this morning. On a Saturday? The bait man asks. My dad nods. I feel the bag of minnows move. They swim like silver arrows in my hands. I'm Diane Halsey, and you're listening to Early Risers, Waking Up to Racial Equity and Early Childhood. My guest today is Bao Fee. He's a writer, spoken word artist, and award-winning children's book author. His stories are wonderful tools for opening up conversations with young children about the experiences of immigrant and refugee families. We've been talking about his first children's book, A Different Pond. It was inspired by his experience growing up in Minnesota as the child of parents that fled Vietnam as refugees when it was no longer safe for their family after the Vietnam War. What I like about A Different Pond is that it's kind of telling your story in a very general way, but it's not demonstrative about race. It tells your family's story from a boy's perspective in a way that children that are Vietnamese or or other um, immigrants and refugees can relate to. So what impact do you think your book has on Vietnamese children and family? You know, like as a writer, you kind of write towards what you're passionate about, what you believe you have to add to a discussion. Right. And whether or not it ever goes out into the world and receives an audience is outside of your control. Right. And with the different pond, I mean, the response just has been um, humbling. A lot of teachers tell me that, you know, not just Vietnamese kids, but like Southeast Asian kids and Asian kids would be reticent speaking in class you know, about their experience and their families. And then the teacher would read my book. And then suddenly all these Southeast Asian kids and Asian kids would be like, oh, 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 I used to go fishing or my my family was a little bit different, but, you know, there were similarities. And to hear that 
you know, like it was my first book. I mean, I, you had, I had no idea. I, I really wrote it because I wanted my child, you know, who we had been reading to every night. Like, you know, obviously we want our kid to learn about all different peoples. So right. we, their mother and I, we would, you know, very intentionally pick books that were written by and featured characters who are Black, Native American, Pacific Islander, right. Latinx, mixed race, queer, Asian American we wanted our child to learn about all different peoples and, you know, like, like kind of what you're saying at a young age, expose them to as many different stories and people as possible. Right. And I wanted my child in particular to have something that tried to connect them to the struggle of their grandparents on Mm. my side. Yeah. Because I feel like for all the invisibility, I feel my parents' generation, that, that generation of refugees, you know, where English is their second language Right. I feel like their struggle and their history is particularly invisible, right? Yes. And I wanted my child to have some connection to that because that's a part of who they are. Absolutely. You know, it's a, yeah. Yeah. So. And and you so you are um what there's so much that I love about this. You know, you're you even though you're not an early childhood expert, what you have done is so in line <laughs> with early childhood development, because one of the things we know about early childhood is that when children are very young, especially, they are making sense of their world and and they're categorizing. And when a child is not able to see themselves in anything else that is around them, there's there's something that happens not good to their development. And so yeah. by you being able to provide an opportunity for all kind of children to see themselves in in the book that you've written, um, you know, it aids in their development, their identity development. So one of the other books you wrote is called My Footprints, Mm -hmm. um, another story that I really like. And it's the story of a little girl who has two moms. Um, She faced some bullies at school and she's trying to kind of work out her pain and frustration um, when she comes home. Yeah. There are real precious few children's books that depict children having same-sex parents and mm-hmm. even fewer where those families are families of color. Yeah. So how important was it to you that little Twee was Vietnamese? Um, yeah, you know, so a little bit behind that book, uh, you know, my first book is really, even though there are female characters in it, a lot of it is based on the relationship between a little boy and his father, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And when I thought, would I ever write a second children's book? I don't know. But if I did, I would really like to talk about bullying somehow. But I wanted to take the power away from the bullying itself. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I, I do, yes. Because like, yes. it allows kids to kind of fill in the blank, you know, because it's kind of like, are they bullying her because of her race, because of her gender? or because of her two moms, or all of the above. Twee sees those kids laughing at her again. She stomps away from school. The crisp white blanket of new snow cracks like eggshells beneath her feet. She looks behind her and sees her jagged footprints. Footprints, she says. My footprints. 
But ultimately, I wanted it to be about, you know, how can kids like process and take solace in love and family and community. I want to be the biggest, and strongest, and scariest monster, Tui says. So that if kids at school make fun of me for having two moms, or tell me to go back to where I come from, or call me names, or bother me because I'm a girl, I can make them stop. Can we play with you? Mama Ngauk asks. Yes, Tui says. Let's make footprints. Mama Ngauk says, "I wonder what creature we can pretend to be together, because we're stronger together." That's what I think is so beautiful about this book is that, it, and I think it does exactly what you're saying because she's having an experience where she she's been hurt, um, she's been bullied, but she's kind of finding a way to work through it where she is not allowing that bullying to to rule her. Yeah. And then she allows her moms to kind of come in and heal her and even though the, her moms don't really they don't really try to like fix it or they don't talk about doing something or right. any kind of retribution or anything like that, you know, right. not in the moment. And why I think it's so important that you focused on that is because I think a lot of times, um, you know, for for children of color, for families of color that are, that go through these racialized incidents or or any kind of bullying mm-hmm. that happens, um, we often do find ourselves in a struggle and a fight, but we don't concentrate on the healing aspect of that, right. and the fact that. Um, Lil Twi is learning how to do that as a young child is very mm-hmm. important because that means, you know, she'll be able to take that with her growing up. Yeah. Um, which leads me to kind of another um, question, you know, about about this. Um, in another episode of Early Risers, um, I spoke with an early childhood educator from the Lower Sioux community about historical and generational trauma and how she talks with young Dakota children about this painful history. And during an interview on the Today Show, you talked about the realization you had as an adult that you and your parents are survivors of war and how that kind of flipped a switch for you um, when you realized that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about how you know this uh, historical and generational trauma in your family, how that has affected you, affected the way that you've um, raised your children, or mm-hmm. or your child, rather, and kind of how you see the world. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that I didn't think that I could claim that or examine that until I was in my mid-30s. And so I think even though, like, I had kind of, like, been a student of many of these social justice movements, I think that maybe I had subconsciously kind of taken in these ideas that you know, like war and that type of stuff that happened over there. But, you know, I'm going to focus on like my experience here in America. And I mean, that's important too. But I think that I didn't draw the line between it's like, hey, you know, like what happened in Vietnam, that is connected, right, to mm-hmm. racialized ideas of what America is. And also added to that, I was a baby during a lot of the, the traumatic experiences that my older siblings can all remember and so on top of all that I didn't feel like I could claim it Um, Mm. and it wasn't until I was much older that you know I think it was therapists and others who were saying like 
no, this is actually a part of your DNA, whether or not, oh, yeah. like, you, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, and, I'm, and you know, just having a child, I mean, it, in a way, it's like allowing your child to kind of spark your curiosity about who they are and then who you are and yep. and really, like, how can you help them? And it's like an ongoing process, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It is. Um, tell us about your fourth book that you have coming out. So the first three children's books are stories, right? Um, they're picture book stories. Mm-hmm. The fourth one is a poem. And I wrote it, you know, during the pandemic and shelter in place. And, mm. you know, just witnessing so much of the anti-Asian hatred. Like, I, And I want to say, first of all, anti-Asian hatred, racist xenophobia, unfortunately, is nothing new, right? Like right. it's... um. But there was like a, a heightened sense of it happening. And yes. and that was very painful. And there was like a feeling of like, like I want to do something. You know yes. what I mean? And mm-hmm. yeah. like, I want to do something to help. And so I want to be very careful here. I, I don't want to suggest that I only care about Asian American people. That is definitely not the case, right? It was just like seeing this in this particular instance and having a child I was kind of like, where, where's the art? Like, where's the where's the support network for like Asian Americans? Yes, like and who you're are, writing you know, from your experience, right, yeah. right, right, mm-hmm. right. And so, and so, I wrote a poem for kids. I I, I did write a poem for adults as well, um, and then I wrote a kids version. And I thought, you know, I don't know, maybe this could be a picture book, and it should be coming out in a year or two. And oh you know, wow, yeah. oh, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and, you know, it's called You Are Life. Uh, mm. Originally, it was called You Are Not a Virus, you know, because the former president called it the China virus. And, yes. you know, a lot of people have mm. been treating us like we, again, it's like we're scapegoated mm-hmm. for something racially. Right. But I also wanted the book to be like a time capsule because it's like, hey, this mm. happened to us. Like this happened yeah. to our people. And no one should ever forget this. Right. Like. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think, again, American culture generally has a lot of amnesia, right, towards instances of race and racism. And like you said earlier, people don't even want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this is a part of our history, not just Asian American people, but like this, this anti-Asian hatred. It's always been a part of history, and it is definitely a part of history now. And I wanted a book to to kind of capture that and not necessarily dwell too much in the pain of it, but to acknowledge that, Hey, this happened and we should be talking about it. You know? Absolutely. I I'm, I'm excited for this book, new book to come out, but you know, you raise a good, you know, good point um, about all the Asian hate um, and violence, Mm -hmm. you know, that has been on the uptick in the last couple of years. How did you, uh, or how have you been talking to your child about, all that's been happening? You know, it's just a, another difficult conversation to have. I mean, as you know, George Floyd was murdered on 38th and Chicago. And, and you know, that was... That's Pretty th- close to where you live. Yeah, yeah, very close to where we live. And also three blocks away from where my child went to summer camp and daycare. And that's where my kids spent the majority of their youth, right? That 35th and Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, and George Floyd was murdered three blocks from there. Right. That cut foods. I mean, I've, I've, 
I've gone in there to pick up FedEx packages. I've gone in there for like chicken and iced tea, you know, like this was our neighborhood. And, you know, like all of these conversations, you just do your best as a parent. And I'll, I'll admit that even for someone like me, who has spent the majority of his life at this point trying to learn and engage in these conversations about race and social justice, mm-hmm. I sometimes don't know how to talk about this stuff. And I, I think what I try to do is you just do your best. You're like, look, yep. this is like, this is happening. You know, there are people who hate us and you for like your gender, your race, your class, who you choose to love, you know, the clothes you wear, like, there are so many reasons to hate another person that become like, you know, not just a bias, but like systemic oppression. Right. Yes. And I think right. that what I try to do is you, you try to have these conversations because they they know stuff is happening. Right. Like they do children know. And so the best you can do is like say, Hey, it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's really yes. hard. Like the world is unjust sometimes. And mm-hmm. Like, you you know, you just got to find your people. You got to educate yourself. You got to learn about other people. And it's okay to talk to me and your mom and your family about this type of stuff. Right? Yes. And and that's, that's really what's important. You know, we don't always have the perfect words to say, right. you know, and that's okay. But just the fact that you're opening up the conversation, letting your child know that these are, these are topics that are on the table that we can talk about them. You can ask questions about them um, is what's important as opposed to, you know, shutting it down or saying it's too difficult. I don't want to talk about it. You know, I applaud you. These are, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned are difficult times to be a parent (laughs) and to have to explain all of these things that are happening in our in our country, in our world, in mm-hmm. our communities, um, mm-hmm. you know, right now. But just being able to make sure that your child knows that we can have these conversations. Right. And um, before we go, I just want to, you know, open it up and say, is there any kind of last comments you have or any kind of thoughts that you might want to tell people about your children's work sure. um, and about how children might be responding to your work? I think this probably has come across in in a lot of what I've said, but that, you know, I truly believe that Asian American people really need to be a part of the conversation and the dialogue about race in America. And that sounds so simple, but it's bewildering to me that a lot of people actually don't believe that. They actually Mm. don't believe that Asian Americans are people of color. You know, you hear all the time, oh, Asians are basically honorary whites or we're next in line to be white. And, you know, like these are these catchphrases to dismiss our people and Asian American people is such a huge, it's that term is such a huge umbrella that encapsulates so many different social, political, historical, different struggles, different realities. And I think what was particularly hurtful about the wave of anti-Asian hatred, right? that we saw very clearly swing during the pandemic. So there was the initial pain of like, oh my gosh, this racist violence is being committed against our people. Like, so there's that hatred and that hurt. And then the second wave of pain and hurt I experienced was people denying that it was racial, you know? Um, Wow. 
and I want to go like beyond the moment of pain and disappointment and just kind of like take a step back and realize that people don't know that Asian American people struggle. They don't know our histories. They don't know our people. Um, and we are all taught misinformation about one another. And I see it as my responsibility to learn about Black struggle, about Native American struggle, about Latinx struggle, Arab struggle, women's struggle, all of these different people's struggles, right? And I would hope that that means that other people also have a curiosity about my people, you know, like our Absolutely. people, Asian American people, right? Yeah. Because we, we are a marginalized people too. We're marginalized differently, but I, I would hope that instead of people dismissing us, that would actually lead to a curiosity. Biofee's books for children include A Different Pond, My Footprints, and Hello, Mandarin Duck. His upcoming children's book is a poem titled You Are Life. Look for it in 2022. We've posted links to all of Baofi's children's books, along with some of his other writing and spoken word performances on our episode page. You can find that at npr.org backslash early risers. While you're there, you can also subscribe to this podcast. As always, for more tips on how to talk with very young children about race and racism, visit littlemomentscount.org. This season, we've been writing discussion guides for all of our new episodes, including this conversation with Bao Fi. We want to give you practical tools to be able to have these conversations about race and racism with young children. And we're curious to know, how are those conversations going? Tell us about the conversations you've been having. You can record a voice memo or send us an email at earlyrisers at npr.org. We may include your reflection in an upcoming episode. This episode of Early Risers was produced by Nancy Rosenbaum. Our technical director is Alex Simpson, and our executive producer is Andrea Bork. Kaviesh Kavaraj composed our theme song, I Still Remember. Special thanks to the whole team at Little Moments Count and NPR. I'm your host, Diane Halsey. Thanks for listening.